The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. Paul, tell us how you really feel. Man, what an indictment. Proud. He don't know anything. Then he says in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God... Flee these things. What things? What you just read about. The things you covet after. The pursuit of money. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Yes. O man of God, flee these things and follow after. That means to pursue, to go after righteousness, godliness. That's what we read about in verse 6. You want real contentment? Then pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Meekness, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Let's pray. Father, I'm sure glad we know who holds tomorrow. And I'm glad that you are holding on to us. Lord, it's not up to us to keep it. It's up to you. I'm glad I can say with Paul that I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And my faith and trust is in the Son of God. And I thank you for that. But now I pray that as we look at this passage and others in the Word of God on this subject, that it would help your people. That's my heart's desire. And I pray the Holy Spirit will do what I can't. And you'll do it not because we deserve it, but because you're a great God. And I pray you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I hope you know that every week, whether it's Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I pray and plead with God to help me to know what I ought to preach when I get in the pulpit. I don't just, you know, at random open the Bible and point. I certainly wouldn't do that. I don't go through all my sermons and try to find my favorite. I don't do that. I just pray and plead with God. But on the other hand, sometimes the way God lets me know what I need to preach is by just helping me to be aware of obvious needs among the saints. In other words, sometimes you know that there are certain problems that are... Listen, I would never preach a sermon for one of you. Okay? If I know one of you is having a problem with gambling, I'm probably not going to preach a sermon on gambling. I'm probably going to come and talk to you. Okay? But then there are times when it's obvious there's a, a, a rather larger number of people that are struggling with one problem... And it seems obvious at times to me that the Lord's nudging me that that needs to be touched on. The reality is if a, if, a, if a half a dozen families in here is struggling with something, then chances are there's a lot more struggling with it as well. There are common problems that need to be addressed from time to time. That's obvious. And over the last few weeks in my study, I've had numerous, and I'm going to say no less than six conversations revolving around the subject of finances. Uh, family finances, business finances, personal finances. And it began to dawn on me, well, this is really a reoccurring theme constantly among young couples in particular. Far too many of God's people are in bondage when it comes to this subject. Listen, unnecessarily. They don't have to be, but they have allowed themselves to get into a place of bondage and I'm not talking about wicked people. I'm talking about good people. Good people make bad decisions sometimes. <laughs> so, a lot of God's people, unfortunately, are in bondage. Now, when I say bondage, let me tell you something. What that can mean is you are strapped by debt. 
That's a form of bondage. The borrower is servant to the lender, the bank, or an individual lender. So sometimes when we talk about financial bondage, it's because someone is strapped by debt, but some are strapped by greed. Bondage is not just for the poor. Bondage is also for the rich. And the reality is everybody in here is rich. Reality is 75% of this world thinks the poorest among us is wealthy. If you, if you want to think that, if you, some of you think you can look around here and say, now that guy's rich and that guy's rich. Listen, I could invite some people from India and they'd think you were filthy rich. That's just the way it is. But nonetheless, when we talk about bondage, you could be strapped by debt or you could be strapped by greed or you could be strapped by just overcommitting yourself and now you're just having to work like seven days a week just to keep the machine rolling. You're in bondage. You got all of these things you got to keep doing just to keep your head above water or you're in serious trouble. That's a form of bondage. You see, a lack of money can lead to bondage and too much money can lead to bondage. Now you may think, I hope you don't, Brother Ron, what in the world do you know about finances? <laughs> well, number one, Jesus had more to say about money than he did about salvation. Jesus had more to say about money than he did about heaven. The New Testament is just inundated with verses on the subject of money and finances. And I'm a Bible student. I don't ha- Listen, I don't have to be an expert at training children. I just need to be able to read my Bible and see what it says about training children. And I don't have to be an expert in finances. I just need to obey what the Bible says about finances. So you don't have to be an expert. You just have to be a Bible believer. But I would say also, many, and I, I, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm really not. I'm try- I really want to help some people today. I really want to help a lot of people. I'm hoping the people that are not here are watching us right now. Our church members, I hope they're all watching. So not only did Jesus have more to say about money than salvation, but many of the so-called experts that everybody listens to, those experts that make big bucks giving you financial advice, inevitably all they're doing is offering you common sense and biblical principles that I've known since I was 20. You spend more than you make, you get in trouble. Why would you have to listen to a talk radio station to figure that out? Everybody okay? My soul, it's just common sense and Bible principles. And I would remind you, and we may talk about this tonight, I haven't decided, but there's a widow in 2 Kings chapter 4. She's in financial straits. Her husband is dead, and she's got two boys that she's going to she's gonna have to sell them off into slavery because of her financial situation. The first person she calls is the preacher. You know what most people will not acknowledge about their finances? It's a spiritual problem. The biggest reason most people are in financial bondage, whether it's rich or poor, is because of the spiritual problem. And if they'd fix the spiritual problem, they'd then fix the financial problem. So my point in saying all of that is that most bondage problems, including finances, is a spiritual problem. And my heart today is to help God's people. Let me give you some questions that you can answer that might help you determine if you are in Bondage when it comes to the subject of finances. Number one, do you put on a charge card routine expenditures just because you don't have enough money? Number two, you find yourself often paying bills late. Number three, you borrow money for fixed expenditures. Does anybody know what comes up at the end of February? Your property taxes are due. And you've known that for a year. What that means is for 12 months, you put X amount of dollars in the bank, in the savings, in the checking, whatever you want to do. And then when that comes due, you got the money. Is everybody listening? I'm talking about some signals that you might be in bondage. You get a new loan to pay off an old one. This is very common among some of the folks in our church. What God says you ought to give first, you always give last. We're talking about some signs that you might be in bondage. You're dishonest about your finances. 
you find yourself lying about it. And you and your wife often argue about finances. These are some indicators for you that you might be in bondage. Somebody said there's three types of people. The haves, the have-nots, and they that have what they have not paid for. One man said of his wife, he said, I was quick on the deposit, but she was faster on the draw. (laughs) There's a lot of material about this subject. There's no way I could preach it. I need to preach a series. I preached eight nights on a Wednesday night, eight consecutive Wednesday nights on the subject of finances years ago. I think maybe I need to repeat it. Not because I'm an expert, but because the Bible's an expert. And it seems that people allow themselves to get lulled into financial trouble when they don't have to. And the Bible has so much material, I couldn't cover it in two sermons if my life depended on it. So I'm going to try to organize my thoughts, and you know my nature about these kind of things, into five words this morning that I want to talk to you about concerning finances. Number one, perspective. Number two, problems. Number three, priorities. Number four, planning. And number five, privilege. The first one is perspective. Here in 1 Timothy 6, we're going to skip past our text. We'll come back to our text. But I want you to look at verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We're going to look at several places this morning. Hope you'll bear with me. My heart is to help God's people. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Charge them that are rich. This is Paul telling Timothy what to do as a preacher. And he's telling us as preachers, we've got to charge you because you're rich. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Let me just tell you something. The house you live in doesn't make you a better person than anybody else. The car or the truck you drive does not make you a better person than anybody else. Don't get high-minded. Whatever you do, don't get high-minded. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, watch it, who giveth us. I could stop right there and preach for a long time. You know what you've got today? You've got what God gave you. The Bible says, Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good. This is talking to people who are rich. It's talking to us that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Let me ask you something. Does Paul or Timothy have the right to tell people what to do with their money? That's what he's doing. He's telling them in verse 18 what to do with their money. Does Paul or Timothy have the right to tell people what to do with their money? And I want you to notice in the text, he's telling these people that are rich, and that certainly includes American Christians, he's telling them, do not trust in your riches. They're uncertain. It can be taken away from you tomorrow. All it takes is one more airplane in the wrong building. All it takes is World War III that can happen overnight in the world we live in. One, one bomb. I'm telling you, the riches that you have today are uncertain. He says, don't you trust in those uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who giveth. Please hear me this morning. You will always be in some type of bondage until you acknowledge that everything you have belongs to God. Otherwise, you're in bondage to a lie. And you're bondage in other ways that we're going to talk about today. You cannot just say, yeah, it all belongs to God. No, you've got to believe it. It's one thing for you to flippantly say, well, you know, everything I got to is. Really? So he can tell you what to do with it and you'll just jump at the opportunity. You cannot just say it all belongs to God. You've got to believe the fact that it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does that mean? That means this earth belongs to Him and everything on it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. Okay? So you not only have to Say He owns it all. It's all His. You've got to believe that and acknowledge that and live that. How many of you would say, in all honesty, that you know, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, doctrinally speaking, practically, please hear me, practically speaking, that God owns it all, that He's the owner and you're the steward? How many of you know that? Okay, He's the owner. Stop and think about that. Think about what that means. You see, the owner has rights. The steward just has responsibilities. The owner has rights, the steward takes orders. It's not, it's not difficult. Suppose you hire someone to manage your money for you. If he did with your money what you did with it last year, would he still have a job? 
Suppose you hire someone to manage your money, and he does with your money what you did in December with your money. Would he still have a job? Well, are you not managing God's money? Aren't you the steward? I'm talking about perspective. It's all God's. But let me give you a second perspective that we need to talk about. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's get to our text in verse 5. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. I want to try to help you with a biblical perspective. It says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. That's called the prosperity gospel. They think if you're rich, then you're godly. They think if you've got a lot, you must be godly. That's not what God says. That's not what the Bible says. That's called the prosperity gospel in our day, which says, you know, if I'm prosperous, then I must be doing something right. And you know that's not true. But then in verse 6, what Paul says, but, that's the conjunction, that's the contrast. No, it's not that gain is godliness. Rather, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, what a contrast. Godliness and contentment, great gain. So the world will ask about some man, what's he worth? Right? And they're wondering how much money does he have? But if, if you get the right perspective from the Bible, if he's not a godly man, he ain't worth much. It doesn't matter how much his banking account says he's worth. If he's not a godly man, he's not worth much. And listen, whether you master verse 6, godliness with contentment <coughs> is great gain. And verse 8, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. It's when you master those verses that your worth is increased. Are you content? Are your children content? Is your 16-year-old a contented person or a murmuring person? I think we all know that most of us are whiners, that, that, that we have no right to be complaining, that we've got it so good. He says here, godliness and contentment is great gain. I want you all to see something today. I want to show you something that will help all of you. Boy, if you young couples, you young men and young couples would get a hold of this, it would, it would really help you in the next ten years. There are two clear opposites in the Bible. There are many others, but there are two clear opposites in relation to the subject we're talking about today. One is forbidden by God. It's called covetousness. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich, that means that's their desire, that's their, that's their end game. They, they want to be rich. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Watch it. Which while somewhat coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's two clear opposites in the Bible. One of them is, one of them is covetousness, which the Bible says is idolatry in Colossians. It's idolatry. So covetousness... And the opposite is contentment. You know what covetousness highlights in our lives? Greed. You know what contentment highlights in our lives? Gratitude. Covetousness highlights greed. Contentment highlights gratitude. We often quote a verse, if you'll keep your finger in 1 Timothy 6, I want you to think about Philippians chapter 4. Would you please turn over there for just a moment? Look at Philippians chapter 4. I'd sure love to help a lot of God's people with this subject today about finances. We're preaching on Sunday night's family training, and I've decided to insert this into that series, and we'll talk more about it tonight, and I'll give you a lot more, hopefully, plans tonight that will help you in your finances. But this morning, we've got to get to that place to where we realize we need to make some changes. We need to adjust our thinking. We need to get the right perspective. If you don't have the right perspective, then you're going to have problems that you don't have to have. The Bible says this in Philippians 4. We quote it all the time in verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Isn't that what it says? Now, we always say a context, a text without a context is a pretext. What's the context? He just got through saying in verse 11, watch this, not that I speak in respect of want. I'm not talking about some things I lack, he says. For I have learned, Paul says, I have learned. Have we learned? What's he learning? In whatsoever state, that means condition I am. 
therewith to be what? Content. Watch it. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to, be ab but to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ. What is all things? I can be content when I don't have anything. That's the context. The context of Philippians 4 is not if you try hard enough, you can kick a 75-yard field goal. The context of I can do all things through Christ is not I can be quarterback on an NFL football team. I'm five foot two, but I can dunk. Yeah, a donut. Paul says there's something I've learned abounding or abased, full or hungry, snow or ice. What about it? Big screen or little screen? Old truck or new truck? What about it? Paul said, I've learned in every one of those situations, I can do all things. I can be content. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Oh, let's, let's be honest this morning. Most American Christians, and probably that includes me and you, we're not content. I had a preacher call me the other day and he was talking about this subject. And he and I were both talking about how much better our wives are at this than we are. One of the things I'm so thankful for about Rhonda is for 45 years, she might want this or she might want that, but she sure is content without it. It's a wonderful thing. Look at verse 7. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm trying to talk to you a little bit about perspective. Verse 7 says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Y'all believe that? <laughs> you can't take it with you. I heard a preacher telling about, he got the opportunity to, to preach at a broker's convention. And, and they wanted to know the title. He was going to be the keynote speaker, and they wanted a title. He sent them this title, he said, you can't take it with you. If you could, it would burn. They didn't like that title. <laughs> Some of you didn't even get it. A man told his wife after a preacher said, you can't take it with you. He said, I'm going to do everything I can to try. He put thousands upon thousands of dollars in a glass jar with a handle on it, put it up in the attic and told his wife, when I leave this world, I'm grabbing that on the way out. He was convinced he could take it with him. After the funeral, she went up into the attic to see if it was still there. And of course it was. His brother told her he should have put it in the basement. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that one either. Somebody said this. Add up what you have that money can't buy and that death cannot take away and you'll know what you're worth. Add up what you cannot, money cannot buy, and death can't take away, and you'll have an idea of your worth. I love Proverbs 10, verse 22. It says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and He addeth no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and He addeth no sorrow with it. I'm talking about perspective. I'm talking about ownership and true worth, and until you get the right perspective, you're going to stay in bondage. It's all His. Amen. And godliness is, so much, is worth so much more than money. It's just a matter of perspective. Americans do not know the difference between needs and wants. Right. And that's the reason your children think they've got to have it, whatever it is, now! Mm -hmm. And they're miserable until they get it. That's the world we live in. There is not a spirit of contentment. There's a, they call us the consumer, but the consumer is consumed with an attitude of greed and dissatisfaction and discontentment. Young couples, young couples get mad and they want right now what it, 
what their parents spent 30 years to get. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Proverbs 15.16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Which leads me to the second problem, or the second word, which is the word problems. We've talked about perspective. I want to talk to you about problems. Bear with me this morning. Some of you may not need this. Most of you do. I'll go ahead and say this because some of you need to hear it. Some of you think that if you had more money, your problems would be over. No, it would just create more problems for you. What makes you think if you can't handle $10, you can handle 100 Doesn't work that way. I mean, the Bible is abundantly clear. The more you have, the more problems you're going to have. That's just, that's just clear in the Bible. That's the reason you don't need to have anything. That's right. It needs to be all God's. If it's all God's, you've got nothing. All you're doing is being a good steward. And then it'll work out a lot better for you. So let's talk about this word problems in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice what it says in verse 9. They that will be rich fall into, here it is, temptation and a snare, foolish and hurtful lust, destruction and perdition. That sounds like a lot of trouble to me. The goal is wealth. The goal is rich. And that leads to all of these terrible things, temptations and snares and foolish and hurtful lust and destruction and perdition. And the contrast is in verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee those things and follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. Which one are you pursuing? You see, wealth can lead to bondage as easily as a lack of wealth can. You know what happens when you get a lot? It takes a lot more to satisfy you. When you get a lot, it takes a lot more to satisfy you. The problem with wealth is that you've got more to worry about and fret over. <laughs> Don't forget what I read in Proverbs 15. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Another problem with wealth is it leads to a sense of self-reliance. You almost get to thinking you're bulletproof. That's why the Bible says, be not high-minded. I'm talking about problems related to money. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, when money and riches is the goal, it leads to temptations and snares. I want to show you three of them real quick. Proverbs chapter 11. Now, in case, in case you don't need this, let me go ahead and say it. You do. See, now, now, now I'm, I'm going to say it. We try to teach our young men, by the time they're 18... To have some money. Now sometimes they make that a God. You still need to get an education, boys. You don't get to work 40 hours a week when you're 14. What you do is math. History. Get an education. I didn't say you had to go to college. I didn't say you have to have a doctoral degree. I didn't say any of that. But I'm telling you, we want boys to be more prepared for marriage at 20 than a lot of kids are at 30 in America. But you can't make that the goal of the God. That's just, that's just a byproduct of being diligent as a young man. So we've taught some young men to do well when they're 14, 15, and 16. And then we teach young couples uh, to do well. And then we teach businessmen to do well. And, and for per capita, we've got a lot of businessmen in our church. So all of you that have learned how to make money, and by the way, some of you make money by investing. That's very dangerous. If your goal is to get rich quick, that's a bad goal. But in other words, there's a level of success that's obvious at Cornerstone. I thank God for it. I rejoice with you and I'm happy for you. But you need to understand something that's clear in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 26. You know, Paul said what's going to happen when you get this wealth is it's going to lead to temptation. What kind of temptation? Look at Proverbs chapter 11 verse 26. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. I think of Joseph in Egypt. What's this verse trying to tell us? Somebody's using wealth to control other people. You know, who's the, you know who the more godly man is in this verse? The seller. The seller is interested in helping people. But the guy that won't sell, all he's interested in is his bottom line. <laughs> he's not willing to sell even if it'll benefit somebody else. That man's in bondage. 
I'm telling you, men, the more you get, the more greed that's possible. It's a dangerous thing. Most people cannot handle financial success. Because then all of a sudden, you won't sell something. You've got to be a blessing to somebody else unless you can make as much money. Because you've been taught, make as much as you can, which is a lie out of hell. You never should try to make as much as you can. Never! If you try to make as much as you can, you're going to be trying to make money when you ought to be in church. You're going to be trying to make money when you ought to be at home with your kids. You're going to be trying to make money when you ought to be fill in the blank. The goal is not to make as much as you can, but many of you, God's blessed you, and your resources are more than others. Use those for the glory of God. And here, the guy that's in bondage is the guy that won't sell. Look at, look at Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. Get Proverbs 28 in one hand, Deuteronomy in the other one. Oh, if we'd get a hold of these things. My heart's desire is to help the people of God. You know, I'm going to say something here. I'm, this is going to get me in trouble. But I'm going to talk about it tonight. I'm going to talk about this tonight. I have never, ever been a budget man. Brother Bob Johnson, basically, his mindset was, if you don't have a budget, you're in sin. And I respect Brother Bob, and he was right. But it's not been me. And I'll explain that tonight. Rhonda and I simply, for years, didn't spend. We just didn't go do mo- spend money on things. We, we just weren't big spenders. And you know, being, if you're not a big spender, it's a whole lot easier to manage your money. Especially when you just got a little to manage. <laughs> I'm serious. And, and I was going to talk about this tonight because I think there's a lot of lies out there. Listen, I believe in plastic surgery. But I got plastic in my billfold that makes me money. You, you listen to all these experts and then you go to seed on one little good statement they make and then you let that become a God. Especially some of you businessmen that's read more books in the last 10 years than your brain can handle. I respect some of you businessmen. I've talked to Brother Clayton. I've talked to Brother Nick. I've talked to some other men in this church and they bounce things off each other and they read books and they want to do right. That's a good thing until it becomes a God. Everybody listening? Trying to help you. we got a problem with this thing of greed. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, look at verse 11. Proverbs chapter 28. Uh, Look at verse 11. Very simple verse. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 28 verse 11, the rich man is wise in his own conceit. You better be careful about that. Why would a rich man be wise in his own conceit? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's, here's a danger for every single... Listen, this is a danger for preachers. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me teach you something I'm going to teach in pastor school. Would you agree with me God's blessed cornerstone? God has blessed cornerstone. I mean really good. Now you know what happens with recognition? There's a real danger of pride. You know what happens when you get an ability, you get, a, you get the opportunity and the privilege to stand up and teach others every single week. You get to thinking you know more than you do. And it gives you a sense of self-worth that is dangerous. You better not let pride sneak in there. Neither one of us, any one of us, could not take our next breath without God. Y'all understand me? And so if, if it's dangerous for a preacher to enjoy any level of success... Maybe, maybe he got to lead somebody to the Lord. Maybe he got to go on a missions trip. Maybe he gets to preach 20 meetings a year. And all of a sudden he begins to think he's something he's not. If that is true, it's certainly true also of others who get opportunities and people who are successful financially. And here's the danger. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. He says you're going to get blessed. You can read the whole chapter. And in verse 17, he says, And thou say in thine heart, My power 
and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. You've been blessed. You're doing good. You say, I was diligent. Diligent. We're going to talk tonight about the balance between you doing your part and God doing His. <coughs> and then I'm going to make this comment. That you've got to be busy. You've got to be diligent. You've got to work. You know, you know if you've got money, you know how you're supposed to get money from God? You know how God says you're supposed to get money? Earn it! Not the lottery. Not even an inheritance. The way God wants you to get money is to earn it. That's a Bible truth. If you're not careful, you'll lose the balance. And what I'm saying to you is this. You've got to work. Get up every single day and go to work at the same time. I was talking to Brad and Jim and some of these guys the other day, and I was talking about how these young people are. And they, one of them looked at me and said, that's the millennials. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know just because you was a millennial that meant you can call in six four, four days out of the week and be okay. I still think you ought to get up and go to work. So there's a balance. That is, you go to work every single day. You do your best. You, you go in sometimes when you're sick. You, you don't cheat the boss. You give him your best effort. And you do that year after year after year, and God's going to bless that. And then you can say, well, it was my diligence and God's blessings. Yeah, but it was only your diligence because God gave you the ability to be diligent. <laughs> you listening to me. So the Bible says right here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, don't you get to say, look what I've done. No, look what he did. You understand the difference? It's a real dangerous thing. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Oh my. Would you agree with me? These are truths we need to all remember. These are Bible truths. These are not, these are not, these are not financial truths. Um, tools in a how-to book. It's what the Bible says. And I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 30. Look at verse 8. It says, Let, I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about problems. We're talking about perspective. We're talking about the potential problems with wealth and money and finances. He says in verse 8, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me lest I be full and deny thee. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. He said, too much will ruin me and too little will ruin me. I need to have the right balance. That's a great verse. But he says, the problem is, if I get too much, I'll deny the Lord. And I'm convinced that means in my daily living, I'll forget God. I'll get to being high-minded, self-sufficient. I can make it on my own. And I'll deny God. You remember the guy over there in Luke chapter 12 that built bigger barns? You ever read that story real carefully? Here's what you're going to find if you read Luke 12 about the guy that built bigger barns. I, 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 I. That's what you're going to see in Luke chapter 12. And then he said this. He said, I have, I have much goods laid up for many years. I'm going to build some bigger barns. And God said, you fool. You're dying tonight. Isn't that what he said? He called him a fool and he said, you're dying tonight. Somebody said he had money to enjoy for many years, but he didn't have many years to enjoy his money. He had enough money to enjoy many years, but he did not have many years to enjoy his money. We're talking about problems that come with money. It means more responsibility. It means more accountability. It means more temptations. All oh, the Bible is just loaded with material. You ought to just read Proverbs on this subject. The Bible is full. In Proverbs, just, just listen to this verse. In Proverbs chapter 20, an inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning but the end thereof shall not be blessed. And then, and then this one, Proverbs chapter 13, in verse 11, the Bible says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. You see, there's a real danger in getting too much too fast. That's why it's good for young couples to live within their means. It's a Bible truth. 
Money can ruin you, especially if you don't work for it and you get it too quickly and you forget that it's all God's. I would say this, usually fast money, easy money turns into dirty money. I'll tell you something you might want to think about. Have you ever heard this phrase? He's making a killing. Well, the very phrase sounds dangerous to me. He's making a killing. Yeah, who's he killing to make it? Who's having to suffer for his benefit? Just sounds bad. He's making a killing. The third word I want to touch on before we go home this morning is the word priorities. If you go back to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to go to a couple of other places, and then we'll be through. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know what the Lord sometimes allows my preaching to do, and I, don't, I just give Him the praise, and if anything good comes from it, it's Him. But it's not that everybody necessarily needs every bit of this, but sometimes if you'll meditate on what God's saying to you this morning, what it'll do is, is you, may not, you may not come all the way over to where I'm preaching today, but it might jerk you out of a way too far ditch that you're in yeah, sure. and sort of help pull you back into center. You understand what I'm saying? This, this preaching, this material, this Bible material might just help you sort of get back into the right kind of perspective. Might bring you back into the center, to reality, if you will. So the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're just going to read verses 6 through 10 real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now you tell me what God says the priority ought to be. Money or godliness? Pretty obvious, is it not? Greed or godliness? Now I need to say something here. Some of you are going to misunderstand my preaching this morning. Listen, you are not spiritual if you're just because you're poor. You're not spiritual just because you're poor, and you're not successful just because you're rich. Amazingly, in Proverbs chapter 3, Boy, I've got so much material, I wish I could spend another hour with you. But, but that would be more than you could handle. Somebody said the mind can only handle what the seat can endure. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance. Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. We'll talk more about this tonight, but you know what the Bible's telling you right here? If you'll honor God, He'll take care of you. Is it not amazing? It's amazing to me that everybody in here has the opportunity to honor God. How? With your substance. Every single one of you can honor God. How? Just with what you have. Primarily, it's talking about your money. It's pretty amazing, really, if you stop and think about it. I want to tell everybody in here something that you need to hear, and I think you ought to set some goals. I'm going to talk to you about it tonight. Every single one of you can get out of debt. Let me rephrase that. God wants to help every one of you get out of debt. But only on His terms. God wants to help you get out of debt. And by the way, a house mortgage is not debt. It's not. Any more than, a, any more than an electric bill is debt. We might need to find out what the Bible teaches debt is. Some people teach us that any borrowing is a sin. That's not what the Bible says. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. God wants to help every one of you get out of debt, but only on His terms. And Proverbs 3 says you've got to start by honoring the Lord with your substance. Now look at Luke 16, verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10. The Lord showed me something this week in preparing this message that I've never preached before. It's in Malachi 3, which is the last place we're going. I'm almost there. In Luke chapter 16, look at verse 10. Luke chapter 16, look at verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, 
And he that is unjust in, least, in the least is unjust also in much. Jesus says, if therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. What's mammon? Money. Right? Look at it. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Wow. Is God saying, if I can't count on you to do right with your money, I can't count on you to do right with greater things. Isn't that what He's saying? You see how you handle money is a great gauge of your spiritual condition. And some of you do not look at it that way. The way you handle your money is a gauge of your spiritual condition. Let me say secondly, how you handle your money is an estimation of what you think is important. It's an indicator of what you think is important. Didn't Jesus say where your treasure is? There will your heart be also. What you do with your money is a strong indicator of what you think is important. Let me say this. What you do with your money tells us whether or not you take God seriously. If you don't take Him seriously about money, why would you take Him seriously about anything else? What you do with your money tells us whether or not you take God seriously. So when you come to Malachi chapter 3, and by the way, I'm well aware of all the arguments against Malachi chapter 3. And I'll, I'll touch on that tonight, but look at it. Look at chapter 3 verse 8. We're almost through. Hang in there. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, Will a man rob God? This is God talking. God says, Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, He said, You've robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? What's, God, <coughs> what's God's answer? In tithes and offerings is the answer. That's what he said. Now, I understand, you may not believe in tithing. There are people I know that do not believe in tithing. So if you, if you don't believe in tithing, it's okay. This is still going to have something to say to you, whether you believe in tithing or not. Look at verse 9. You're cursed with a curse. Remember, he said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. So everybody wants to say that's Old Testament. Of course, taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain is Old Testament too. Train up a child in the way he should go is Old Testament. Do we just throw out all the Old Testament if we don't like it? But nonetheless, if you don't want to believe in tithing, that's between you and God. He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me even this whole nation. Watch it. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me, which means put me to the test. God says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you, uh, open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. So let's suppose that you don't believe in tithing. Would you believe there's a biblical principle here that says if you'll honor God with your money, He'll bless you? Say, forget whether or not you believe in tithing. It, the principle is, if you'll honor God with your money, He'll bless you. Is that not what's in the passage? But I noticed something I've really never stopped and thought about. Verse 11. He says, when you bring in all your tithes in verse 10, and, and, and you put me to the test, I'm going to pour out the blessings from heaven on you, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. See, we, we never read verse 11. And he, the devourer, shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the tithe, time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what God's telling them? If you'll honor me with your money, all those things that have been devouring all of your stuff, I'm going to destroy it. Yeah. I'm going to help you protect your stuff. I'm going to bless your stuff. But many of you know what I know right now. There's a lot of things devouring your stuff, and it's stuff that shouldn't be devouring it, like cable TV. Can't pay your water bill and you got cable TV? we got problems. You can't pay your electric bill? And you got a 13-year-old with an iPhone? We got problems. Something's devouring your stuff. Now, we're talking about problems, priorities, perspective. I'm not going to finish the message. I'll finish it tonight. I want you to ponder for just a moment. I want you to think about your priorities. Let me help you. Let me help you. 
Is it possible that some of you are frustrated? Here it is, January the 21st, 2024. Is it possible that you've been frustrated in January because you ignored priorities in December? And instead of doing what God said to do first, you did it last? And you wonder why your finances are in the mess they're in? Is it possible you're frustrated in January because you failed in December? Let me give you the last couple of tests for your bondage. This is to find out if you're in bondage. Do you even know how much you owe? And if you don't, you're in bondage. If you've got debt, should you not know what it is? And yet some of you have got three and four cards maxed out and you have no idea what to do next. Oh, I'd so love to help you. Another test, does your spending say that you're looking ahead or living for the moment? Does your spending say you're looking ahead or that you're living for the moment? Do y'all realize money is nothing more than a tool that was created for convenience? That if you go back to the probably the age-old source of exchange, it's called bartering. Like your eggs for some meat. You got eggs, he's got meat. <laughs> and that eventually it got difficult to carry around a dozen dozen eggs. So somebody come up with currency. Y'all understand what I'm telling you? And that before you had paper bills that was used to, you had real money called gold. Now it's fake money. But nonetheless, it was nothing more. Money was just a convenience. It was created in, 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 for a convenience. Used to, you just exchange one thing for the other to meet needs. That's the only reason you did it. I need some meat. I've got some eggs. I want some meat. You just exchanged something for something you felt you needed. That's all you did. But now, we got plastic and paper and credit cards and all kinds of resources to make it look like we've got something we don't really have. Listen to me. And we leave God out of every bit of it. We just leave Him out. I want to remind you of a great truth and we'll go home. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. And that ain't talking about your savings account. But it reminded me of something. Before I got saved, I owed a debt I could not pay. You know what Jesus did? He came down here and paid a debt He did not owe and canceled my debt. So why are you telling me that? God knows how to deal with debt. And if you're leaving Him out of yours, you're going to keep digging a bigger hole and you're going to stay in bondage. And that's not what God wants for you. Let God help you with biblical principles. And if you're here this morning and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, you've got a debt you can't pay. You've never been saved. You've never been born again. Jesus died to pay your debt. But you've got to take Him and give Him your life for His. Let Him come in and take over and he'll count, cancel your debt. If you'll let him do that, he'll do it today. If you're interested, come see me after church. I'll be glad to help you. And some of you, there's some men in here and some women that could help you with this financial bondage. And tonight we're going to try to give you some planning, okay? Let's all stand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.